Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast comes from our series on Jesus, Who Do You Say That I Am? And in it we talk about Jesus' purpose in becoming a man. Today we're talking about purpose, and we are going to talk about this a little later, but can anyone tell me the difference between mission and purpose? You have to have a purpose to do a mission. There's a lot of companies, we talked about this before when we talked about missions, and like how companies have mission statements, and we showed Jesus' mission statement in the book of Luke, I think it was, right? Luke 4. Yeah, Luke 4. Nice, Ben. You almost deserve the candy car for that, but not quite. No, it's the unattainable candy car. You have to do something really amazing. Stephanie did. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing. The question that she answered, yeah, it was quite awesome. Um, the question she answered, I didn't think anyone would ever get. I don't remember what it was, but it was only a $5 MP3 player, but still. From Hong Kong, yeah. Um, free shipping, even. Yeah. I should have done more than one. No, it was a limited time. Um, anyway, so we talked about Jesus' mission statement, and a lot of companies will actually have both a mission statement and a purpose statement, and sometimes even a vision statement. Yeah, I know. We're actually coming up, um, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that will be Vision Sunday. We did that last year when I first got here, and we have our vision statement. It's, well, it's not in there anymore. It used to be like your first page, um, and we're going to revisit that and talk about that a little more. But um, some of it is it is just kind of maybe splitting. You guys know the word semantic? Splitting semantic hairs? Having to do with words? Semantics has to do with words. Samaritans? Um, no, not Samaritans. Semantics. Um, and so some of it, you know, maybe a lot of people would just say it's the same thing. But we're going to talk a little bit about the difference. Does anyone think they know maybe a difference between mission and purpose? Good. Yes, actually, there's a couple different ways you can define it. I think that's a really good one. Mission is what you do, and purpose is why you do it. That's very good. I would make, I could also, the way I was thinking is exactly the same thing, only rephrased a little different. Um, mission is how you do it, and purpose is why you do it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so we're going to start in John 8, 31 through 34, because we are starting always in the Gospels um, with Jesus. And basically, this has been a much longer series than I anticipated. Hello? Baby! She was sleeping? Is she going to stay down here with us? Or someone take her up? Okay. Um, This has been a much longer series than I anticipated, and a little different than I anticipated, which is usually how it turns out. But um, we're going to finish it up next week. And then we start something new because it'll be a new school year. Aww. Aww. Yay, school. I know. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, we're going to start in John 8 31 through 34. Someone want to read that? They're right on your paper there. Okay. Whoever. The Jews who had believed him 
but I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. I chose this verse because I think that it really relates to us a lot. Um, uh, in a maybe a different kind of way, but especially the part where it says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we should be set free? I think of it more like, we're Americans and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we should be set free? So I think this is a really important thing we're talking about. And this is, again, there's a lot of aspects to, to Jesus' purpose and maybe like why he did what he did. Can you tell me his mission? Do you remember what the mission was? In some ways it is a little, it's similar to this one. We talked about two different things. He was humbled and he was exalted. We also talked a little bit about that, his mission statement, how he came to set the, the captives free and to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed and stuff. So in some ways, this, the, this is where it's really, really close in meaning. But um, the purpose is a little different. I wanted to talk about freedom today and what that actually means for us. Because we kind of hear this and it says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we're like, well, we've never been slaves to anyone. Um, and we don't really know what that means. So how can you say that we're going to be set free? I have a couple really like insultingly easy questions first, though, to get you thinking about this. We all love insultingly easy questions, don't we? How do we know that we are truly Jesus' disciples? According to this passage. What? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Can anyone tell me what his teaching was? Going back a couple weeks? I think Sermon on the Mount. There is a, a paper that says Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Uh, it says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What was Jesus teaching? When we talked about that week, I said that, and you know, like, a lot of pastors, they have like, this sermon that's like their sweet sermon. Like they can just pull it out anytime, anywhere, and it's a really great sermon. You remember this? Yeah. Um, for example, Ken Dady, his uh, Keep Current, whatever, that one, that's like his sermon he can pull out like at any time. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, I've heard it several times, and he pulled it out, a short version again today. And so he can just like, he knows the entire thing by heart. It's a really good sermon, and he just pulls it out. And a lot of people kind of say that the Sermon on the Mount was kind of, that was kind of like Jesus' message, his teaching. Whenever it says, and Jesus taught the crowds, he was probably teaching that. Um, and he was teaching about, this is what the kingdom of heaven is. And he was saying, you know, you guys measure yourselves by the law, but <coughs> you really need to not be measuring yourself that way because no one can really fulfill the law. And remember we talked about um, kind of this distinction of law versus grace. You guys know Martin Luther? Yeah. You guys know, like... 95 Theses. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Um, he, his whole theology, like if we talk about Martin Luther's theology, he split the whole message of the Bible into those two categories, law and grace. Um, and he has said a lot of deep stuff about it, but 
Um, Jesus, basically, we talked about his Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, this is what you need to be. And you want to try to be this, but you're never going to be this. But I have taken care of that. And we talked about that's what the good news was. Is that this is the kingdom of heaven, and ultimately you're made for the kingdom of heaven, but something's wrong. And I need to fix that. Um, And until I permanently fix that, you know, you're not going to really succeed in this. But I'm just telling you, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and this is what you are made for. And that was his Sermon on the Mount. So it says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What is the kingdom of heaven? Understanding the kingdom of heaven and what Jesus came to do. And really, his disciples didn't understand this very well, even up until he died. They're all like, oh, you can't die, teacher. And like all this stuff, because they didn't really understand what he came to do. So, how can we know the truth? Capital T, truth, according to these. How do you know that we are truly Jesus' disciples? And what was the answer? Look right up there. (laughs) Verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. These are the insultingly easy questions. Thank you, Lily. So how, how can we know the truth, according to these verses? Huh? Huh? So easy. Don't think too hard. Jesus tells you the truth. Close. I'm looking for you to phrase it a little differently, but basically you have it. No, that's the result of knowing the truth. Maybe. Reverse logic. Anyone? Anyone? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. So, how do you know the truth? To become his disciple? Yes, if you're really Jesus' disciples, then you will know the truth. Really easy. It's kind of, it keeps going on down the line here. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. If you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. If you know the truth, then you'll be set free. And then when you're set free, you can fly. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. You know, I really don't think we're going to be able to fly in heaven. Sorry to tell you that. No, only magical people can fly. <laughs> and to I know that's off topic, but... Uh, and then to be a magical person, you need to have a pure heart, which we don't So, have what, do we, what do we become when we know the truth? Da, 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 da. Fourth? Yes, free! told you these are insultingly easy. Just goes right on down the line. What do we become when we know the truth? Free. What? Now this is the hard one. What is the truth Jesus is talking about? I am not saying I like know the answer to this question. I was just curious and wondered what you guys thought. Because it seems strange that he says, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But he never tells them what the truth is. He never says, and this is the truth. So what is the truth that Jesus is talking about in this passage? His teaching? You know, I actually think that is a really good good answer, but I want you to expound upon that. Are you going to expound? What does that mean? <laughs> Say more. Elaborate. Yeah. Is the truth... The truth and nothing but truth. If it were not the truth, it would be a lie. But it's not a lie, so it's not truth. (laughs) That is not a wrong answer. (laughs) It's not the answer I'm looking for. I should have been more specific. So, 
Rachel said his teaching, but what does his teaching say? come back to that one, hey? Okay, now this is just for you. I boxed this off special. Um, Just like clear your mind of everything we talked about and define freedom for me. You get to fly. You get to fly? Maybe. What? This is like our personal Yeah, but I want to hear a couple of them, but... Being able to do whatever you want. Being able to do whatever you want within reason. (laughs) Free electronics. A complete freedom? It means we don't have complete freedom in this country. Yeah, and freedom is where we have free electronics. Free electronics? You know, it's like where, where we can get all this awesome electronic stuff for free. Okay. Any other definitions of freedom? Not controlled by anything. Not controlled by anything? Any others? Just curious. There's no wrong answer. This is your personal definition of freedom. No other answers? Way, way? I would like having colleagues. Oh. Like Benitez? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. Oh, where's the bug? <laughs> what? I could not help myself. It was my sinful nature coming out. Okay, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 5 and 6. And when I say Romans 5 and 6, I mean we're reading both, the entirety of both chapters. So we're going to be here a while, but there's a reason that we are doing this. You know, I don't usually do this this much, but um, this is really, really important for what we're talking about. So I'll read. I won't lose my voice. Just for clarity's sake, I want to read all of it. Um, So, everyone in Romans chapter 5, 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, we, if, for if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So just as an aside here, what he's saying is that if we, we were enemies with God and if through Jesus' death we are reconciled, we're, we can have a relationship with God again, how much more, having been reconciled by his death, can we be saved through Jesus' life? Uh, I just wanted to clear that up. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have, have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for therefore the law was given, sin was, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? So again, to clarify, he's saying, sin entered the world through Adam. One man sinned, and sin entered the world. But there is another man, another one man, Jesus Christ, through which righteousness enters the world. just want to make sure we're following the thought here. And he says that it's not the same. How much more... Just It was death before, but now it's grace and it's life. How much more is that um, overflowing to many? And we're on verse 16. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification for, that brings life to all men. For just as one, for just as through the disobedience of the one man there were met, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through, the righteous, through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we read that chapter as a setup kind of for this next one. I want you to make sure you get that. He's really pounding again and again. Uh, you know, my little subheading says, Death through Adam, life through Christ. He's saying again and again. Death entered the world through Adam, and sin conquered everyone. But you have to understand that Jesus was another man, another one man, and he brought the opposite, righteousness. And that is so much more. He's saying, you know what, compared to righteousness, evil is so small when you see true righteousness. And Jesus brought that and it overflowed to so many people. Now, this is what we want to get to. Chapter 6. So what shall we say then? So Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Saying that, you know, if, if grace increases when there's sin, why don't we just keep sinning more and more and more? Because then there'll be more grace. And that's great. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? This is verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. 
you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body into sl- in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I could do like a sermon series for like a year on those two chapters, because um, there's so much in there. But um, there's a couple things that, I, first of all, I want you to, my first question isn't really a question, it just says, I want you to just take a minute, and we just read a lot, and I want you to think about what we read. There was a lot of it, and it's really, really important, especially that, that second chapter. Just take a minute and kind of look back through it and, and pick it apart a little so you can understand it a little better, and then we'll talk about it, because I want you to make sure you get it, um, especially chapter 6, so look through that one. Give you guys about one more minute. Okay, um, the first question, uh, I'm looking for something a little specific, so I'm actually going to answer that. I just said right at the beginning the, the way we're kind of defining the difference between purpose and mission. So what did I say? Do you remember? difference between purpose and mission. Purpose is, our mission is, well, I actually started with mission. Mission is how you do something. Purpose is why. So, what was Jesus' purpose in coming, according to these chapters? I think it really gives us, chapter 5 sets it up for chapter 6, and chapter 6 is kind of like the entirety 
This is why he came. So what did you say? What's his purpose? To save people. Also go go up to, uh, you can go back to John too, huh? looking maybe for a more specific word that you see a lot in all the chapters we talked about. Ina? Oh, Right. And both of you together are right um, right on. And the one where I think that sums it up that we're talking, we've been talking about is freedom. He came to bring freedom. His mission is, you know, depending on which verse you go to, but he says, you know, I come to um, bring good news to the oppressed and all this stuff. This, that's what he did. He brought that good news. But ultimately, his purpose in doing the things that he did and being humbled and being exalted Remember we said that it's not just that he was exalted. He did these things because he loved us. Because, you know, God could have done it another way. We're assuming, you know, God's God. He could have found some way <coughs> to do this. But he did it this way. And these chapters kind of give us a clue to why he actually did that. He said, I come to set you free. If you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I came to give you freedom. But uh, how is it different than his mission? Um, his mission, he actually, you know, he, he performed those actions. He does miracles. He do, does his teaching and stuff. The purpose, ultimately, in all those things, though, is to have this happen inside of us. He performs these actions. He's humbled. He's exalted. He preaches the good news so that we can be set free. So that's how it's, it is. You know, it's really close. But according to these chapters, this is where I really want to get to, is I think this is the, the understanding I want you guys to get from this is what does it mean to be free according to these chapters? Especially the second one, Romans 6. Your definitions um, to was, you know, to be from, free from the control of someone, to be able to do whatever you want, um, to have free electronics. But what does it mean to be free according to these chapters? Yeah, crazy, huh? There's this great line, um, some of you know, I really love the band Skillet, um, which has a really dumb name, kind of, but um, they have this great line in a song, and uh, it basically comes straight from here. And there's this long, lots of words, and then all of a sudden he says, um, you set me free, I want to be your slave. And that's ex- like straight from here. He says, what does it mean to be free? And he even, like, Paul puts these things right next to each other. He says, you are set free from sin to be slaves of righteousness. So this is like kind of really a lot different than we usually think of freedom. Because Jesus says, you want to know freedom. You know me, you know freedom. And this is what freedom is, to be a slave to righteousness. So we think freedom like free from the control of anything. We can do whatever we want. <clears throat> but what it says here is says that freedom is like, he says there, he has two lines of thinking. He says, you know what? You were slaves to sin. And what that meant was that sin was your master. You did the things that sin told you to do. And that led to death. Now, I'm setting you free from that. And what real freedom is, is following righteousness. Righteousness is now your master. You follow what righteousness tells you to do. And that leads to life. And that leads to salvation. And that's the gift of God. So he actually says freedom isn't like just throwing off. And this is so important because you see this so much in the Bible where someone will say, you know what, I want you to take off the old man. 
um, kind of picturing it like a, the old man coat, you know, or whatever. It says, take off the old man, but they never stop there. They don't say, stop doing those bad things. Take off the old man, and that's it. Because then you just be an empty person. They would say, take off the old man and put on the new man. They say, don't be a slave to sin. And don't just throw off, say, oh, I'm completely free. I'm not a slave to anyone. Be a slave to righteousness. And this is what's so important. And this has so many, I think, applications for us. Because we've talked about before that God has all these rules. And, you know, I remember, and I know now even, sometimes I'm like, why can't we do this? Um, Why is it bad to do this? And sometimes it's really obvious, like, if you do this, then there's going to be really bad consequences. So it's obvious why God says not to do it. But other times, maybe you look at it and say, I don't understand why, if I'm a Christian, I can't do this. And really what God's saying is that, you know what, you are a slave to righteousness. And maybe even right now you don't totally understand this, but you have to understand that if you really want to be free, I'm telling you how to be free. And that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It means what you, you do the things that make you free. And you are most free when you are like me. Um, and an example, I guess the one that I think of that came right to my mind when um, Ken Dady was giving a sermon, if he had gone just a little bit further um, in Ephesians, it says, Therefore, put off any unwholesome talk and coarse joking, because that's not fitting of people who are sons of God. And there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. You know, sometimes you're like, well, I don't see what's so bad about telling a dirty joke or saying this word or saying that word. And for some, you know, maybe you're just like, I don't really get it. But he says, you know what, that's not what people who are free do. And I want to make sure that I'm not making this in your mind into like law. This is grace. This is the definition of grace, that you are set free, but righteousness leads you. What he's saying in this verse is that when you are slave to sin, you could not do anything but sin. You followed what sin told you to do, and that led to death. But when you're a Christian, when you die and then are raised again with Christ, you die to that whole sin thing. And you raise to righteousness. And instead of following what sin tells you to do all the time, now you're following righteousness. That doesn't mean that you're never going to screw up. Because obviously we all screw up and we feel like crap sometimes about the things that we do. But the thing, there's something that has fundamentally changed about you. And that's that if you have accepted this, you are not bound to that. You're not chained to sin anymore. You're chained to righteousness. And you have the ability to follow it. And um, there is grace to catch you when you do that and that's why Jesus came so purpose I know it's, we've been kind of getting away from Jesus here and that's what this series is about um, he came to set us free and he says you know what I am living a free life and he's showing people this is what a free life is like this is the kingdom and this seems so hard to you because you are stuck under sin but I am offering you true freedom and that is to live under the kingdom of God because you know what Heaven or the new earth, you know, whatever you talk about, it's not going to be a democracy. We kind of hold up um, democracy as the greatest thing. We have a good nation. We're always trying to create democracy in all these other places. But um, the news is that heaven is not going to be a democracy. It's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be a king, but it's going to be different because that king is a king of righteousness, and we are slaves to righteousness. So I just want to make sure you guys get this, that Jesus didn't come just to set us free from sin, and that's the end of freedom. Um, His purpose was to make us slaves to righteousness. And I really want you guys to get this because it's, I think, really difficult for us as Americans to get this. Um, 
and it's so important because there's a reason that they're not like, and therefore he chooses to be a, a citizen in the democracy of righteousness. You know? It doesn't say something like that. It says, you are now a slave to righteousness. You live in the kingdom. And um, this is really important. I think there's a distinction. I want you guys to get that. Um, I do have a discussion question there. And, you know, we don't necessarily have to do it. It's getting a little late. But maybe we can just do it all together. Um, what are some ways that Romans 5 and 6 affect your life now? So, um, Romans 5 and 6, we just read them. There's a lot of stuff there. How do they affect your life? How does theology meet your world? Sure. And I think the important thing is, and I said this before, is um, to understand this is really positional. Because um, I don't want, because I know that sometimes this can, this is the struggle I had with even talking about this, is because sometimes this can cause despair. Um, to be like, you're no longer a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. And so all the things you do now are going to be righteous. Well, not really. Um, I want you to understand that. And that passage talks about that, is that you're still going to mess up. And ultimately before, could you not be angry in that case? You know, probably. But this is a really positional thing. You were, you were stuck in sin and it led to death. Now you are stuck to righteousness and it leads to life. And it's a really positional thing. So I don't want it to cause despair. Like, oh, I messed up and so I'm not a slave to righteousness. I'm telling you, this is your identity. This is who you are. If you're a Christian, you are a slave to righteousness. Does that mean you won't ever mess up? No. But it means that you have a choice. And that choice is, is, you know, it's a day-to-day thing, like Rachel said. And it's also a positional thing. You are that. You are that. Um, whether or not you feel like it all the time, you are a slave to righteousness. So I don't want it to be like, like a burden. I want it to you understand that Jesus said, this is freedom. It's not a burden that, like, now that you're free from this burden of sin, now whenever you mess up, you feel like crap. Um, it's, it's freedom. It's that you don't have to choose that sin anymore. And you don't have to be like, I am the worst person in the world. It's healthy to understand that you're a sinner. And it is really important. But you don't have to be like, I am the worst person in the world. And I don't even understand why God loves me because I'm a piece of crap. Like, this is where I think really the practical aspect comes. Is that I am now a child of God. It says um, in that first part, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son or a daughter. And I think that's really the encouragement that comes from it, that if Christian does something bad, we don't just boot him out, you know? (laughs) Sorry, we told you that was naughty. You got three chances. Out you go, you know? I want you to know, this is what God's saying here. It's like, you were a slave before, and yeah, you messed up, like, you were in trouble because being a slave to sin leads to death. But 
Now you're a son, you're a daughter. And even when you mess up, grace is there. And so it's really, really important. So that's a good example. Sorry, I kind of went way off from that <laughs> after a while. But yeah, so like choosing not to be angry. Um, you can do that. Anything else? I think one thing um, that I think he says from this even is that it changes your desires. Um, where maybe before, like I have actually <laughs> a lot of my people I know because I went to a Christian college and stuff and whatever. Um, they've been Christians for a really long time, um, like since they were really little. But I didn't become a Christian until I was in high school, so I actually have in some ways the the pleasure of knowing what it feels like to not be a Christian versus being a Christian. And, you know, when you become a Christian really young, sometimes it's, it's that distinction blurs a little bit, but um, knowing the difference between the two, there's definitely a difference. Like, before, I just never really thought about things. It's like, do I like doing this? Is it fun? Will it make me feel good? Great, you know? But ultimately now, um, like, and I've said this before, you can't really know unless you knew me before how different it really is like, now, when I think about things, I'm like, I want to delight in the Lord, as Psalm 37 says. Like, what does God want from this? What does righteousness want? And my desire is to know Him more, not just to get, just get for myself. Um, and I can honestly say that is my desire. Not all the time is it perfect, but I want to read the Bible so I know who He is more. I know what He wants more. To know how to please Him more, because I love Him. So I think that's a really big one that is both positional and practical. Like, it changed in my life when this happened, when I became a slave to righteousness. I saw that this is how it changed. Um, and so, I think that's part of it too. Wanting the things of God. Wanting the things that God wants. Being a person after God's heart, I would say. If anyone, no one else has anything, um, we're done for today. Does anyone have anything else to say? No? Okay, we'll pray, and then um, I have hardly any announcements, and then we can eat spaghetti. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your freedom, and I've done not the best job today of expressing this, but I just ask that you take the words that I've said and just make them grow in everyone's hearts and in my own heart. Just give us an understanding of what it means to be free in you um, and what true freedom really is. And and, um, just like from the retreat that we had. We just ask that you would help us to taste and see who you are, to taste and see what that freedom truly is by knowing you. It's so easy for us to think of ourselves as free right now, um, that we can just do whatever we want, and that's what freedom is. But we just ask that you would teach us what true freedom is. And that we ask that this week um, you would bring these chapters to our hearts because they're so, so important for our lives, about telling us who we are. telling us what our identity really is. Um, Because it's so easy to identify with the things um, in our culture and the the things around us and who we want to be. But just help us to find our identity in you and who you tell us that we are because of your work. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this purpose in coming, that you came to set us free, that you came to set us free from sin and to enable us to be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with God and to have life in you and not live in death anymore. And we just thank you so much for this day that we can celebrate that together. 
It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.